Welcome to the My Best Mom Friend Podcast. My name is Sandra, and I'm the virtual mom bestie you didn't know you needed. Grab a cup, make yourself comfortable, and allow me to spill the tea on motherhood. Welcome back to the My Best Mom Friend Podcast. In last week's episode, we began the topic of marriage and communication after baby. It is an incredibly important topic that I am doing a multi-part series on here on the podcast. If you haven't already listened to last week's episode, I highly encourage you to press pause on this episode and first tune in to the introduction episode to this marriage series because I think it is vital that you hear the introduction, that you have a good understanding of what this series is about, what I'm trying to uncover, and all the different things I'm hoping that you will learn and understand through this series based on 10 to 15 different books that I have now read all about marriage, communication, gender differences and gender roles between males and females, love languages, communication styles, and even childhood healing. So I have basically taken everything I have learned, written it out into this sort of playbook, and am trying to give little teasers of it here on the podcast because I felt like this is too much good information to sit on. So this entire series is not about standing up for men or shaming men, but rather understanding them better so that we can have more productive partnerships when it comes to parenting. So I'm taking everything I've learned from these books, connecting the dots, and applying all of these concepts to this audience, to new parents, parents of babies, toddlers, and young children, and all of the struggles that we face day to day in our relationships. I gave the disclaimer last week that there is a lot of overgeneralizing and that this is looking at the male versus female brains, our wiring, our communication styles, and how we process our emotions. Because whether we want to be inclusive or not, men and women approach emotions and communication differently. And we have a different vantage point to parenthood. And if we can identify the differences, then I think we can learn to speak each other's language to have a more solid foundation and partnership when it comes to parenting. So go back and listen to last week's episode if you missed it. Um, Just to quickly recap, so last week we talked about the differences in our brain structures when it comes to men versus women. We talked about an introduction on our communication styles and and why we talk and listen for different reasons and what those reasons are. We talked about how men don't really carry the mental load the way that women do and our frustrations when we feel like they just don't care or they're too lazy 
and we talked about sacrifices that we feel so deeply that we sacrifice and do more than our partners and that they don't suffer the way that we as women do for all that we've sacrificed and all that we continue to sacrifice every single day for our children and our families. So I want to dive much deeper into this concept today of my husband doesn't sacrifice or didn't sacrifice as much as I have with my body, my mind, my appearance, my emotions, my priorities, my time, my freedom. It's as if their life is unchanged and they can much better transition into parenthood and are more unfazed by these challenges than we are. And all of the resentment that builds under the surface for feeling like the scales are not balanced. So let's dive in. I want to start by saying that I'm recording this episode before I have even had a chance to review the feedback from the introduction episode to see how the message is perceived by this audience because I'm sure I'm going to get some heat, like I said, about generalizing and, you know, playing into gender roles and I kind of don't care. (laughs) That sounds really bad. Um, It's not that I'm not inclusive. It's that I am very specifically looking at heterosexual marriages and relationships and how our roles in society that are deeply rooted due to patriarchy and our gender differences of how women tend to be more nurturing while men are more providers and protectors. These are primal instincts from way back in the day from, you know, the caveman era when men were stronger and there to hunt and women stayed home and nurtured and took care of the child rearing. These innate characteristics, these instinctual characteristics that we have had for years, centuries, (laughs) that carried on into the days when men went off to work at the office or the factory and women stayed home to take care of the household and the child rearing. So up until, you know, the 70s, when women really started to enter the workforce, This is how it was. These are deeply rooted gender roles that we are working very hard to even out. But we can't ignore that this exists and that this is the way that life has always been up until, you know, recent, more modern years. So we just simply can't ignore this. We have to look at all these differences and like I said yes I am generalizing you might have a stay-at-home husband while you are off working perhaps your husband is more nurturing than you are maybe you know taking care of a baby doesn't come as naturally to you as to him 
So these generalizations don't apply to every single man and woman. But like I said in last week's episode, I want you to listen with an open mind and take the aspects you hear that pertain to you that you can relate with and just disregard the rest. I am not here to make anyone feel excluded, but I am here specifically discussing and dissecting heterosexual relationships and the key differences between the two genders. In the book To Have and To Hold, Molly Millwood writes, women's worlds internal and external are changed so drastically by motherhood. Men's worlds, by comparison, are not. It's not a competition, except that it is. We cannot help but compare and contrast with our partners in procreation, and when the contrasts loom large, how can we not have some feelings about that? So when we feel things are not equal, that is when we begin to say to ourselves, I sacrificed so much. My life has completely changed and everything remained mostly the same for him. I too spoke these words, okay, not out loud, but to myself when I was in the deep early trenches of postpartum and that entire year, that first year caring for our son. My body changed, my breasts changed, my hair was falling out. I struggled with my mental health. I was depressed and anxious. I had intrusive thoughts. I carried a heavy mental load of motherhood and everything changed for me. I truly felt like I had less freedom, less free time than my husband And I was the one riddled with mom guilt when I did take a break, whereas he could go out for hours at a time playing sports with his friends to decompress. But when I left for just a mere hour, I was consumed with guilt and couldn't enjoy my time. So yes, I too have felt like I have sacrificed so much and my husband's life seems somewhat unchanged. I think many of us feel this way. So while we can agree that we carry the the majority of the physical changes, we have sacrificed our bodies. We were essentially a vessel for our babies to grow. And we experienced all the negative side effects of pregnancy, of birth, and of recovery, and then our postpartum, you know, mental health and hormones and hair loss, and (laughs) the list goes on and on. We were the ones on maternity leave. We are the ones who maybe sacrifice our careers to stay home with the baby. So yes, there is, if it were a competition, likely more that women sacrifice, at least physically, than men. But what we need to also look at and address to make this more fair and even out the playing field is how men feel mentally 
and just aren't able to or unwilling to verbalize. Men don't express these emotions and so it makes us think that it's just us suffering. Meanwhile, they're also suffering in silence because of the fear of sounding vulnerable and weak. So I am here to offer an alternate perspective to the silent suffering and sacrifices that men, dads, our husbands are making and feeling that are buried deep beneath the surface that they will never mention to you. And to identify this silent suffering, we have to once again go back to looking at our genders, how we were raised and what was culturally accepted in our society and what was frowned upon. So for women, we grow up being encouraged to talk about our emotions, to express how we feel, and that it's okay to cry and to let it out, to vent about our problems with our girlfriends or our parents. This is the norm for girls and women growing up in our society. On the contrast, for men, because of their gender, they are raised polar opposite from us. So 30 plus years ago, our parents didn't practice conscious parenting. They didn't focus on emotional regulation or teaching emotional intelligence the way that we do, at least I know I do, with my son. So they were told to just brush it off, right? To stop crying, don't be so weak or sensitive or grow a pair. Perhaps they were even bullied or ridiculed. For me personally with my son, I am practicing emotional intelligence and teaching him about his emotions and how to properly express them. It's really important that we consider this and don't just gloss over it. Men are taught to be strong, to be tough, to be the protectors and not show signs of vulnerability or weakness. Men are socialized not to discuss their emotions and even to avoid them within themselves. So showing vulnerability is a sign of weakness and it's unacceptable. So when you couple the way that men are socialized and taught about emotions or lack thereof and you you couple that with their communication style and the way that they handle these emotions it is a recipe for misunderstandings and miscommunication when it comes to relationships. Because as women, we then perceive their silence as them not caring. Or we feel rejected or even abandoned or simply that they don't care about 
what we have to say, how we feel, or whatever conflict that we are facing. While we can't actually prove it, I think this, this the way that men are socialized with their emotions and how they hold their emotions deep within can explain why women are more likely to be diagnosed with depression for their feelings of sadness and despair. And the same symptoms in men are often overlooked. And men commit suicide three to four times more likely than women and are more likely to struggle with substance abuse. So again, while we can't prove that the suicide rate for males is significantly higher, I think that we can infer that the way that men are socialized to handle their emotions, their negative emotions, has something to do with it and with how they internalize emotions. Because think about it, when you have a good cry, sort of a cathartic release, or have deep conversations with your girlfriends or even your partner about what you're struggling with, if you are struggling with, you know, depression or anxiety, we feel this deep release when we get it out by crying. Crying is really healthy for dealing with our problems or depression. And so when you're holding that in your whole life, it can lead to deep unhappiness, dissatisfaction, problems in their relationships, deep depression, and even suicide. I think it's just really important to mention that because we really often think that our men, our husbands are not suffering, that it's just us. And hearing everything I just said, I hope that makes you take a a step back and pause and become more curious about what your partner might actually be feeling, but is unwilling to share with you. There might be more hiding beneath his strong manly demeanor that he's not willing to share with you. So now that we have identified that men might have gotten some training growing up about handling emotions like fear or frustration, they're given little instruction about handling feelings such as sadness and anxiety that can leave a man ill-prepared to handle difficulties in his relationships, which leads us to where we are now as husband and wife in the postpartum phase, struggling to communicate with one another about how each is feeling because men hide their suffering deep beneath the surface. As women, I think we often expect or want the men in our lives to communicate the same way we do as if the way that we do things is the right way the dominant way of how we should communicate interact 
and feel and express our emotions. But that's not true. This is, again, why I'm doing this series, that we need to look at our differences. Neither gender is right or wrong. We both do things differently. And once we understand how we handle things differently is when we can begin to see their side, they can see our side, and we can meet in the middle and make our relationships work rather than constantly fighting against one another, wishing the other were more like them. We will always be inherently different. And until we can accept that, I don't think we can have the type of relationship and communication that we so desperately long for. All we want is to be on the same page and the same wavelength as our partners. We don't want to keep living in this men are from Mars, women are from Venus world. We want to meet in the middle on planet Earth. Let's dissect these manly creatures, these alien creatures we know so little about and better understand their point of view. So what happens when men feel lost or sad or depressed or angry in our relationships? Men turn inwards. They need time to reflect on their emotions and organize their thoughts. Men tend to struggle verbalizing their emotions. When I say that, I mean quite literally putting words to their emotions to describe them is something that comes extremely difficult for men. So women need to talk it out. If we have a conflict or a problem We want to talk. We want to vent about it, whether it's a problem at work, a problem with a friend or family member, or a problem between ourselves and our partner. We want to vent about it. Through this venting and talking, when we talk on and on and express our emotions, That is our process for problem solving. As we're talking as women, we begin to recognize how we feel. We recognize the root of the issue and of the emotion, and that is how to solve the problem at hand. We also take input from our friends or our partner or whoever we are venting to to help us solve our problems. Whereas men require solitude to reflect on their thoughts, their emotions, the problem at hand, or all of the input you are providing them with. All of the many bullet points of information you're spewing at them. Before I go any further, now that we're almost halfway through this episode, I hope you're sitting there with curiosity with an open mind and sort of this aha feeling of the importance of understanding how we are wired and what our differences are because I do truly believe that by the end of this series and once you read my playbook that we can all have 
better, more successful and productive conversations and relationships with our partners. I'm so, so excited that you're listening to this because honestly, after everything I've read and learned over the last few weeks and everything I'm regurgitating and all of the connections I have made and and my own thoughts on this topic, I think it is mind-blowing. I think this can absolutely alter our relationships in the most positive way. So I just needed to interject and say that because I'm so excited about it. I genuinely feel like I'm onto something really big and powerful here. (laughs) At least I hope you'll feel that way by the end of this entire series on marriage and communication. So let's continue. So like I said, men require time to reflect Based on everything I read about communication style between the two genders, it's best to let a man know in advance what specifically you wish to discuss, like the topic at hand, and give them a couple of hours or a day or two to internally reflect and gather his thoughts. If you've ever brought up something out of the blue, I'm sure you found that he's not as easily able to keep up with the conversation and might shut down. Men don't always connect the dots right away. And when we communicate more than one thought at a time, it just becomes too much. Not because they're incompetent, but because of what we discussed last episode about how their brains are wired to focus on one input at a time. We have hundreds of tabs open on our desktop and they have one tab open at a time. They work on that tab and then they close it out and then they can move on to the next tab. So their brains are wired to focus on one input at a time solve that problem and move on to the next. Whereas in a heated conversation, as women, we can bring up a multitude of points and grievances at once, literally verbal diarrhea all over them, and they can't keep up in solving all of these issues at once because of how their brains are wired to compute information. Sometimes when our issue or conflict is not specifically with our partner and we just want to vent, we don't want them to solve our problem. Because as women, we often like to solve our own problems by speaking about them. Because as we're talking, like I said, that's when we connect the dots and are able to find a solution. But because men are wired to be problem solvers, They want to jump in and be your hero because nothing makes them happier than making you proud or making you feel happy. So we can get frustrated sometimes when all we want to do is vent and they interrupt by trying to problem solve for us. This comes up frequently and then you become frustrated with them because you just want them to listen. And they're confused because they feel like they just did something really good and then are left feeling like nothing they do is right. 
and they're confused about why you are now shutting down or getting frustrated with them. So they think that they're doing something good by interrupting you and solving your problem, but really you are just so frustrated because men and women problem shoot differently. On the other hand, when the conversation is a conflict between the two of us, they need more time to internalize everything you just said and require time to reflect and think about their position on the matter and how they want to go about talking about it. And when they go quiet, as they so often do, we as women tend to assume they just don't care because suddenly they're hiding. They're looking for solitude either by working longer going out, you know, golfing, or maybe just spending time in front of the TV or in another room. They go silent on us. This stoicism is a coping mechanism they learned a long time ago. So from everything I read, there are really two reasons why men go quiet. The overarching reason is that they need time to process everything you just said. And then process their thoughts, emotions, and feelings about the conflict. And they want to figure out the best way to solve the problem to make you happy so that in turn, they can be happy. So they need to noodle on their thoughts before speaking, unlike us. Because they have this fear of things coming out incorrectly and thus further upsetting us because maybe the things they'll say sound defensive or they show their frustration through anger or saying things that perhaps they don't mean. So to avoid this and to avoid causing further harm, they go silent and they carefully think about what they want to say and how they want to deliver the message. Really, when you realize that this is their process, we should be so grateful because if they just started spewing out how they feel in the heat of the moment, then more than likely our conflict will get even more heated and we will become further and further away from solving the problem. I think it's important to know and to understand that they do this out of love, not to piss us off. But it upsets us because we don't realize their process. And so it leaves us feeling unloved or rejected or even abandoned because we think that they don't care. When really, they care so deeply that they just don't want to further upset us and simply need time to reflect. Okay, quick intermission to say that episode one is now officially live in real time as I'm recording this and I just spent about 30 minutes on Instagram looking over the feedback to the post I shared on Instagram, like a snippet of a quote of what this entire series is about and there 
were a couple of negative comments. And I, like I said earlier, anticipated some negative comments. Um, I honestly thought the negative comments would be that I am terrible for generalizing and for, you know, gender generalizing, I guess. But there are a few women that have commented with their dissatisfaction in my approach and sort of creating an excuse for men for their shortcomings. And I just want to be really clear um, that I am not here, like I said, to, to defend men or to shame them for their shortcomings, right? I am simply trying to look at the male psyche and the female psyche. So yes, some episodes are going to be very focused on the male perspective. And then some episodes will be really focused on the female perspective and what we want and need so that you can share these episodes with your partner so that they can get inside of your brain not through the words you're constantly telling them but for me my husband can tell me something a hundred times but once I hear it somewhere else it suddenly sticks and he gets so frustrated but my goal is that these episodes can be listened to with one another so that you both can better understand and appreciate one another's point of view and the insides, the inner workings of your your brains. And I'm hoping that it leads to productive conversations so that we can co-parent our children successfully without constantly bickering and bitching at each other. So no, I am not creating this segment to stand up for men or, you know, offer excuses as to why they're lacking in certain ways. I am just trying to help you understand their thought process and your thought process and how we can meet in the middle in a way that doesn't consist of finger pointing or becoming really defensive because that isn't going to foster the type of change that I think we all want in our relationship. So I just felt the need now that I've looked at some of the feedback from the first episode to share a little bit of that and explain where I'm coming from. So there will be episodes coming up that also really look at things from the female perspective so that you know your husband or partner can better understand you. Because as we've always heard, men seem to think we are crazy, strange creatures and they just can't seem to figure us out or understand us. So I am trying to translate everything I've learned and know about myself and about women into a language that your partner will hopefully be able to digest and understand in a productive way that will foster change in your relationship. So with that said, 
let me continue with my thought process. Let's dive deeper into this whole idea that women sacrifice everything and men don't sacrifice anything, or so it seems. A man's biggest goal in life is to make the woman that he loves feel happy, for her to be proud of him, and most of all, he wants to be useful. A man's goal and mission is to provide and protect his wife and his family, and more than anything, they need us to understand their need to be useful. When a man doesn't feel like he is useful to his wife, he begins to feel like a failure. So believe it or not, men fear failure. Men have this deep fear of looking like an imposter. And they always feel as though they're being judged. So think about this. You have a new baby. Your baby needs you so much as the nurturer, as the woman that carried the baby for nine months. The baby literally lived inside of your body, felt your heartbeat, knows your smell, your voice, your touch. You know, if you're breastfeeding, baby needs you so much more than they need their father. And so that makes a man feel less useful and feeling less useful leads to feeling like a failure. So a man more than likely postpartum is going to feel somewhat rejected when his wife is suddenly all about the baby. They can feel so left out And they're never going to express it, which we learned earlier. And because they also don't use as much nonverbal communication cues the way that we do, we don't notice the pain that might be hiding beneath the surface. You were their partner, their everything. It was just the two of you. And now suddenly, this little creature absorbs all of your attention and energy especially if you are, you know, nursing, breastfeeding, is a very intimate connection that a woman has with her baby that a man can never have. So yes, there are many, many, many things that a man can do to help us postpartum, diaper changes, you know, um, bottle feeding, cleaning pump parts, doing laundry, cooking, cleaning, all the things. Of course, that is not what I am insinuating. But I am trying to express how the baby needs you more and differently than they need their dad, at least in the beginning. So now there's three of you in the picture. The baby is now your primary focus while your husband plays second fiddle. You are immersed in newborn life with a little human that needs you 24-7. You don't have time for yourself, so you don't have time for your partner. So your husband will never openly say that he feels jealous of the baby or resents the baby or your relationship with the baby. 
but I'm here to tell you that many men do feel this way for a while. So consider that when you pronounce that you're sacrificing everything and they aren't, it might not be entirely true. I still agree that on a physical and even a mental standpoint, yes, like women do sacrifice so much more because there are literally things that men just physically cannot do due to their gender. They cannot carry the baby for us. They cannot birth the baby for us. They cannot breastfeed the baby. There are three key elements that a man simply can't do, even if he wanted to take it off our shoulders. It's that competition piece that that makes you resent him and him resent you. And you resent him for reasons that are biological, that he can't help. He doesn't have a hormone crash the way that we do. Didn't tear down there the way that you did. He's not dealing with mental health struggles from that hormone crash or a difficult recovery from labor or, you know, the PTSD from a traumatic birth or the failure you might feel when you're unable to breastfeed the way that you wanted to because maybe you have a low milk supply. There are so many facets to motherhood, to new motherhood, and this transition that a man will never have to face. So while they can't carry the full load, they still should carry us as much as they can. They are our rock. They are here to lift us up and support us. But we also have to remember to support them. So think about this. If a man is feeling incredibly rejected because the baby just wants mom and then dad steps in, it's his turn to try out fatherhood and to be up to bat. When he's up to bat and we are criticizing everything he does when he does things his way, when we don't let our problem-solving husbands figure certain things out about the caretaking for the baby on their own, when we nag them and we complain rather than properly negotiating what we want and need, we are not set up for success. So when a husband is already fearful of feeling like he's less than, like he's incompetent, like you are so much better at nurturing your child, at calming a fussy baby, whatever it may be, he feels incompetent. He feels that imposture syndrome. He's hoping you won't figure out what a failure he is and that this doesn't come naturally to him. He's fumbling around and you swooping in it doesn't help. It doesn't instill the confidence that he needs. Through our communication, if we're constantly complaining, criticizing, and correcting them, we're not giving them a chance to figure it out. And men thrive on figuring things out. They really need us to give them a chance. And when we don't, they feel like a failure. We can very easily 
make them feel like they're not competent at fatherhood. So what they need from us is positive affirmations and compliments. And more so than words, they look for our affirmation through action. So what we're seeking from them are words of affirmation. We want to hear, you're such a good mom. You're so beautiful. I love you. I'm here for you, right? But what they need, they need affirmation through action. What that looks like is trusting them to take over, to take charge, to try to figure it out on their own and to respect them. That could be including them in decision-making, in problem-solving, and in child-rearing. That means including them. So if it's his turn up to bat and you are criticizing him saying things like, oh, that's not how you change his diaper, or his bottle isn't warm enough, or here, just let me do it. That is us basically saying, hey, I love you, but you're completely incompetent as a husband and a father. Please step aside. And now they feel like they are unuseful to us and like they've let us down. They've disappointed us. And there is nothing worse for a man than that. Let me just say this. Your man's ego is more fragile than your baby. Let that sink in for a moment. Your man's ego is more fragile than your tiny little baby. So now you might be sitting here asking yourself, okay, why does that matter? Boo hoo, his poor little ego. Motherhood is fucking hard and I'm here drowning in the trenches. Here's why it matters. And I'm not saying that a man's reaction to feeling ineffective is okay. I'm just trying to explain what tends to happen so you better understand. And when you can better understand their reactions, then we can tweak our words and our responses and the way that we ask certain requests in a language that they can better understand and are more receptive to. Because I can assure you, men are not receptive to criticism, finger pointing, or when we get defensive. So why it matters when they feel ineffective is that men then tend to further shut down. They become even less available, less there for you, less helpful because they feel useless. So why bother trying? Everything I do is wrong. Why even try? I can't win. So what happens is they turn to other outlets like working more. You might suddenly find they get home later and put in more time at the office or they get out of the house to, you know, relieve some tension, whatever it might be, golfing, meeting up with friends, you know, having a drink with a with a guy friend, whatever it may be. And now you are sitting at home by yourself, drowning in the postpartum trenches of new parenthood, raging with resentment and anger. And all of this can be tweaked in the way that we communicate with one another. So it is critical that we understand 
how our words create a reaction in them. We need to understand how they want to be spoken to. And they need to understand what we need and what we want and how to help us. In this scenario, no one wins. In the book, To Have and To Hold, author Molly writes, Unfortunately, faced with all of what's so damn hard about parenting, we aren't likely to smile in our partner's general direction and say, this really is hard, darling, isn't it? We're much more likely to scowl or use the hardship as license to be irritable with each other or even overtly blame each other for how hard it is. We are more likely to be defensive about our choices when we are already feeling unsure and when parenting is new. We are unsure almost all the time. Whatever internal resources we might ordinarily have available to us for fending off pointless, superficial fights and generating creative solutions to daily problems vanished after the first few weeks of sleep deprivation. We simply aren't our best selves during this phase. After all, we don't feel like ourselves either. Babies have a way of steering life into the weeds. On another note, in the book titled The Women's Guide to How Men Think, the author Sean writes, A sense of purpose is vital to good men. The downside is that a lot of men frequently seek reassurance about their effectiveness. We fish for compliments, and sometimes this can be annoying. Here's how one woman put it. Why do men need so much stroking? Isn't a simple thank you, that was great, sufficient? Why do we need to get out the pom-poms and cheer for the slightest little chore accomplished? Come on, it gets tedious. So he goes on to say, why do we crave appreciation? Because we live to be useful to you. We want to be effective. Good men seem to understand that we are nothing without women. He goes on to say, that's why we work so hard. That's why effectiveness is the most important thing. And that's why some men fall headlong into the effectiveness trap. Rather than communicating, they retreat. They put their workplace ahead of their family. It's a unilateral decision. In short, they end up stumbling into the dark side of the male drive for effectiveness. So we talked about how a man's sole purpose in life is to provide and protect us. When we bring a baby into the picture, there's even more emphasis and pressure on the husband's need to provide financial security for his family. It's another mouth to feed, and overall, babies are expensive. Raising children is expensive. A man's immense pressure that he now has to provide and to get ahead this is often done by working more to prove themselves and to get that promotion or raise to create security and stability for their family. And from statistical research, apparently a man's innate purpose to provide doesn't matter if, if you also end up going to work 
or even have a higher income than him. This is an innate desire and pressure to provide. This is this just, it goes back to, you know, stone age days. This is so deeply ingrained that it's hard to see anything else. And when, when men don't feel effective in the home, they're going to look to feel effective elsewhere and useful. And at work, a man can measure his success. At home, there is no measure for success. Not the same way as a raise or a promotion expresses that accomplishment. So while they have good intentions, they're violating their promise to be a present partner and father. The way to try to mitigate their distance is by offering positive reinforcement rather than constantly tearing them down with criticisms and complaints. Before you had a baby, you likely really cherished the traits and characteristics about your husband in regard to what a hard worker he is how he provides for you. And now that you have a baby and you feel incredibly alone and overwhelmed, you now suddenly can't stand those traits about how hard he works at his job to provide. So it really is a catch-22. Now, let me share this fascinating dilemma with you that probably happens in your relationship and your family dynamic on a regular basis, but you have no idea that this is actually taking place. For a man, providing, as we've already discussed, is a primary way to say, I love you. For a man, bringing home a paycheck is love talk, pure and simple. He has something to prove, which is I can take care of you, I am worthy of you, and I love you, and he wants to deliver. Even more, in a man's mind, providing for his wife and family is a central way of expressing his love. This comes from the book For Women Only. I also read the book For Men Only. This is a husband and wife duo that wrote these two books so that men and women can better understand one another. And they did this with a lot of scientific evidence and statistical evidence. They conducted these massive surveys, which is how they gathered all of their insight. So in the book for men only, so for men to better understand women, she says, for her, emotional security matters most. This means that she feels emotionally connected and close to you and knows you will always be there for her no matter what. Sure, providing financially is appreciated, but for most women, it's nowhere near the top of their list. In fact, as one woman told us, it's not even on the same list. Feeling secure and close in the relationship is so much more important. It's not even part of the same discussion as work or money. They conducted a survey and one of the questions was, and this absolutely blew my mind, 
if you had to choose between these two bad choices, would you rather endure A, financial struggles, or B, struggles arising from insecurity or lack of closeness in your relationship? 70% of the women answered that they would rather endure financial struggles and take a hit with their income than to feel the insecurity or the lack of closeness in their relationship. I thought that was pretty fascinating. So let's take this a step further then. Let me now explain how our actions as women negate this research. When we constantly want to purchase more things, we love to shop. We want the bigger house, the bigger SUV, the best stroller, all of the best baby gear. And let me tell you, baby gear, as you know, is expensive. Men take that as a sign that they need to work even harder and provide an even higher income to satisfy the needs of their wives. So through our money spending habits, we're actually telling them the polar opposite of what we want, which we just said was we want them home more. We want them to be a more active, present role in our family life here at home. So now he's left confused again, feeling like he's expressing his love to you through his action of working harder and harder Yet you continuously tell him you feel lonely, unloved, or abandoned because he's working too much. Let that sink in. Clearly, there is a lot of unspoken communication that goes on beneath the surface. There are a lot of assumptions. And when we make assumptions without verbalizing them to our partner, our partner cannot defend themselves. You are making up your mind, whether it's you or him, about whatever the assumption is, and the other party is not able to defend themselves and say, no, actually, that's not how I feel. That's not what I was thinking when I reacted that way or when I said that. And so again, no one wins. So let me take this further just to prove all of this to you. I'm going to read again from the book for women only about how providers can feel trapped. So for a man, today's version of dragging the buffalo home isn't just meeting the minimum bills. It's also about making his wife happy by giving her the things she wants. And without realizing it, we may send signals that we care more about the things than about how hard our men have to work to provide them. Men feel this incredibly heavy burden to provide. The way that the mental load is constantly on our minds and they don't understand it, the, the requirement to provide is constantly on their mind. So he continues to say, one very direct survey response made me wince. This man wishes he could tell his wife, I feel confused. You want me home more. 
I travel each week and really wish I could be home. Yet, you want a new house, nice things, substantial income, etc. Please understand the catch-22 I'm in. Due to past cutbacks with previous employers, I had to take this job. I feel like I'm pushing two big rocks uphill. Because they want to make us happy, men are surprisingly sensitive to hearing pressure from us where none was intended. So we say things or say things through our actions that we don't intend to come off the way they perceive them. So here's an example. One man shared, Yesterday, my wife was annoyed at these stubborn old stains on the carpet and said, I really don't like this carpet. I felt so bad, like I was failing her, that I was unable to give her the new carpet she wanted. He was then shocked when I told him his wife was likely simply venting rather than stating her displeasure with his ability to provide. He goes on to say, Even without creating financial pressure, we can also inadvertently pressure our men in other ways, such as by complaining about their long hours. Many of us secretly suspect that if our men would just tell their bosses no once in a while, they would be able to spend more time with us. Or we may worry that our men just don't want to be with us very much. She says, on the survey, I just had to test these suspicions. Do you know how many men were actually thinking one of those two things? A tiny fraction, less than 5%. Most of these men answered, if I don't work this hard, I feel like my job might be at risk and I do have to provide for my family, or there is no way to support our family lifestyle without working this hard. I guess I could find a job with fewer hours, but it wouldn't pay enough. He says, my priorities are my family. I wish I knew of some way not to work so much or to be available more, but I don't know how to make this work otherwise. I wish she was more aware of this. If you can put yourself in your husband's shoes and understand how he might feel trapped in this regard with this catch-22, he's more likely to see your concern as support rather than antagonistic. So because our society here in America sucks and doesn't value or support mothers, we're the ones on leave. So we fall into these gender roles that society carved out for us. So if, say, you worked and had a career before having your baby, and it's time for you to return to work, you may very likely take on the default parent role. You've clocked in hours of hands-on caretaking. You know all the things that he might be clueless about. Or if you're not returning to work because your income at your job would just cover childcare costs, now you are sacrificing your career. A career that you spent three or four years in school for, 
working your butt off, perhaps even still paying back student loans. Now you and your partner are left having to make mathematical calculations evaluating whether or not you can continue working. Who would come out ahead at the end of the month? The mom or the babysitter or the daycare? And by how much? So you are also dealing with this psychological violence that takes on when you've spent, you know, your life striving for a goal, your entire adult life, for your career. And many of us identify with our career. And suddenly now you're discovering that your contribution is not valuable enough to justify its continuation. So you are having to justify simply being who you were and leaving the workforce. And what does that do to your psyche? You once again feel like you've sacrificed so much more. You are having to leave the workforce, something that you've perhaps enjoyed, identified with. You know, it made you maybe feel more balanced in your relationship with your husband that you also provided an income, even if it was less than he earned. Because again, society still sucks in, you know, the way that women don't, still don't quite make as much as men. And then you, as the mom, with everything else you're already dealing with, everything you've sacrificed, you are now in an identity crisis. You've lost your previous, your former identity. You're drowning in these postpartum trenches. You look in the mirror and you no longer recognize yourself. And it's painful. It's not what you expected. You know, childcare costs in this country are astronomical and they're constantly increasing. It's more and more difficult to get into a daycare or find reliable childcare. And then if, you know, you're having to give up your career to stay home with the baby, but now you've added an extra mouth to feed and clothe and take care of, Now, in turn, your partner may feel even more stressed and feel even more of this pressure to provide. And it's not your fault. And it's not his fault either. So all of this is the patriarchy that exists in this country that still forces women to be the one staying home with the baby on maternity leave because there are no systems in place for paid paternity leave or paid leave for all. So, like I said, you are now the one that is home with the baby and naturally falls into these roles, these deeply rooted gender roles. And so, all I can say is, you know, you're building resentment about everything and probably towards your partner because he gets to go off to work like he did before and it seems that nothing has changed for him and everything changed for you and he may resent you for whatever reasons he resents you for think about how he might feel 
like he spends all his time sacrificing by providing for the family and missing out on these precious moments. These moments that for you, home alone with a baby, feel so incredibly challenging. He is missing out on. He is missing out on certain milestones. He is missing out on bonding with the baby. And he also feels rejected by you because you're so focused on the baby. So he feels incredibly left out. And when I had this conversation with my husband, we both work. We both have, you know, really great careers. Both make a really, really good income. And what he said to me, and I loved his response, was, I don't think providing is only about money. And I think that that is so true. I loved his statement because a man that's working can contribute so much more to his family than just his income. Women need emotional support. We need our husbands to also take over some of the domestic labor and the childcare and really be an active parent and partner. And our husbands also need to value what we do as stay-at-home moms if you aren't going back to work because raising children all day, every day, 24-7 is exhausting. It is, in my opinion, more exhausting than my job. Truly. Like when we have a week off because it's a holiday or our son is sick, I work so much more than I do at my job. So society needs to appreciate stay-at-home moms more and support working moms and stay-at-home moms. We are all working mothers. Some of us, unfortunately, just aren't bringing home wages from our work we do within the home. But the work we do within our homes to raise our babies is the most valuable work, in my opinion, that we can ever do because we are raising the next generation. And I so hope this next generation does even more than all the previous generations as far as making change and making a difference. And it all comes down to how we raise our babies. So women are also faced with this unbelievable amount of pressure to get it all right raise our kids right do things differently than our parents so much thought goes into it compared to how women used to handle motherhood it's a lot and it needs to be appreciated and acknowledged rather than viewing your partner as the enemy we need to take a step back look at the world around us and unite with our partner against the common enemy which is the patriarchy. We started this conversation by talking about how women sacrifice so much and men seemingly sacrifice nothing. 
There are so many things against us as a couple, and we have to do everything we can to be on the same team. We aren't in competition with one another. We have to stop trying to score against each other. We have to stop the scorekeeping. When one of you wins, you both win. When one of you loses, you both lose. In this very complicated game of life, marriage, and parenthood, cheer each other on, play on the same team, and try to win together. There are so many more episodes that are coming in the following weeks. And my goal, like I said, is really just that we all feel less misunderstood and alone and find ways of how to, you know, look at how to better approach one another with our needs. That is what we will dive into next week. How to communicate what we want in a direct way, speaking in language terms he better understands, and thus yield results. I so hope that you have enjoyed this episode. You've now listened to the introduction episode and this second episode where we dive deep into the male psyche and have a better understanding of what drives men. I hope this was insightful. I would love to hear your feedback over on Instagram at mybestmomfriend. I hope you'll follow along. I hope you will subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss next week's episode and all future episodes. If you're enjoying this, please scroll down, rate and review. And of course, please share this episode with your husband or your partner and your other mom friends so that everyone can better understand one another and have productive conversations that will lead to bettering your relationship and your interactions. Thanks for tuning in. For more, follow along on Instagram at mybestmomfriend. I'll see you again next time.